let me introduce myself to you. My name is Eliezer of Damascus. Do we have any other Eliezers here this morning? No, I didn't think so. I'm the most senior servant of a man that I'm sure you've heard of. His name's Abraham. And this morning, I'd like to share an amazing story with you. It's a story from about 4,000 years ago. I'm not looking too bad for 4,000 years old, am I? It's an amazing story. It's a love story. You know, I've heard a bit about your modern love stories and they're a bit different to, to what I'm used to. You talk a lot about romantic dinners, about first kisses, long walks along the beach, first dates. For me, dates are something that you pull off a tree. And you make public declarations of love on this thing called Facebook. Your ways are all very strange to me. The story I'd I'd like to share with you this morning is a love story. It's an ancient Near Eastern love story. And it's an amazing story. It's a story of a long journey of prayer, of a beautiful young girl, negotiation, and of course, gifts, beautiful, beautiful bracelets and and a golden nose ring. I see that that's not foreign for some of you here this morning. It's an amazing story, but most of all, it's a story of the goodness and faithfulness of God. It's a story from my world. Would you like to come back with me? My master Abraham had a heavy heart. You see, his beloved wife Sarah had died in Hebron, in the land of Canaan, in the land that many years before the Lord had promised to give to Abraham and his descendants. Abraham had lived a long, good life. He had been greatly blessed by the Lord. He was old, which in our culture is a sign of enormous blessing. And he was enormously wealthy too. The Lord had given him abundant physical blessings. I too had been blessed. My master had entrusted all that he owned to me as his senior servant. But as he neared the end of his days, there was still one thing that caused my master's heart to be heavy. His son, Isaac, the son of promise, did not yet have a wife. And he would need to have a wife for God's promises to Abraham to be fulfilled. And so one day, my master called me in and he asked me to swear a solemn promise 
he asked me to put my hand on his private parts. Now, I know that your modern translations are are a little bit too modest to say where I really put my hand, but that's actually what I did. And he asked me to swear an oath to him. Is that how you make modern promises today? No. Maybe you should consider it. I know what you're thinking. Why didn't Isaac just go out and find a wife? It wouldn't be that hard, would it? There would have been nice ladies all around him. But you see, for us, it wasn't that easy. We didn't have TV shows that helped farmers find wives. Not only that, we were living in the land of Canaan. We were surrounded by pagan people all around us. People who did not know or worship Yahweh, the one true God. Abraham knew that to find a wife for his son Isaac from these pagan people would be unfaithful. And Isaac himself couldn't leave the land. You see, his very presence in the land was symbolic of the fact that the Lord had promised to give this land to him and to his descendants. In fact, it was so important that Isaac didn't leave the land that some some decades later, when there was a famine in the land, the Lord actually told Isaac not to leave, but to stay in the land of Canaan. So, Isaac couldn't leave. And so my master Abraham wondered, how would the Lord fulfil his promises? How would the Lord provide a wife for his son Isaac? And so he called me in that day and asked me to swear a solemn promise before the Lord of heaven and earth that I would not find a wife for Isaac from the nations surrounding us, but that instead I would return home to the land of Abraham's people and to find a wife for him there. Let me tell you, it was an enormous privilege. It was an enormous honour to have been given such a task by my master Abraham. But I've also got to say to you, I was really nervous as well. What an enormous responsibility. What if I went all that way and I couldn't find the right girl? Or if I found her and she wouldn't return home with me? I just had this sense of burden on my shoulders. The Lord's covenant with Abraham rested on me and my mission. But none of that worried my master Abraham. He was a wise man and a man full of faith. The Lord had been with him for many, many years. The Lord had blessed him and guided him every step. You know, Abraham was actually the man who introduced me to the Lord, who I now too worship. And so Abraham told me to trust to trust that the Lord would go before me 
and give our mission success. You have got no idea what a weight that was off my shoulders. It was such a relief. In fact, Abraham even said to me that if I was to go back to the land and the girl wasn't to come back with me, if she didn't want to come back with me, that I would be released from the oath that I had made. The success of my mission wouldn't depend on me at all. It would be the work of God. And so, shortly after, I set off. First of all to the north and then to the east. I took ten camels with me, provisions for the journey and, of course, some gifts for the girl. I won't bore you with the details of the journey. It was a long, dusty journey. Camels are smelly old things. But eventually we arrived near the town of Nahor in Haran, in the region where my master's descendants lived. When we arrived late in that afternoon, I went straight to the town well. It was early evening, which was, let me tell you, an enormous relief for the camels and I. By that stage, we were parched and were ready for a break. And we went there in the cool of the day because that was the time when it would be most likely for us to meet some of the local women. You see, early evening was the time when the women would come out and draw water from the well. You cannot begin to imagine how hard my heart was beating as we rode up to that well. The future of God's covenant promises rested on my shoulders and the success of this mission. My master had placed enormous trust in me to carry out this mission. I don't know what you do when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel as though everything's out of your control, but I did what I always do. I prayed. I prayed to the God of my master Abraham and my God as well. I prayed that he would grant me success in my mission, that he would grant my master hesed, blessing, kindness, faithfulness in giving me success. I knew that if my mission was to succeed, that God would need to be at work, that God would need to lead us. And in that moment, I prayed that something would happen. Someone later told me that this was actually the first prayer for guidance in the Bible. But in that moment, I prayed that God would act. And something came to me. An idea just popped into my mind out of nowhere. You know, I'm absolutely convinced that this idea came from God. And the idea was this. You see, as a visitor, if I was to ask one of 
the women who had just drawn water from the well for a drink. It would be customary for her to to offer me a drink from her jar. But for her to offer to water my camels also, well, my friends, that would be entirely unprecedented, entirely uncalled for, and would be an act of God. As I was running in this morning through all the, all the cars in your car park, I didn't see any camels. So I'm not sure how much you modern people know about camels. But let me tell you, camels drink a lot. And particularly after they have been on a long journey. My camels, and there were 10 of them, remember, my camels can drink about 75 litres each after a long journey. And given the average size of a jar would be about 10 litres maximum, for a young woman to offer to water my camels as well, well, she'd be offering to fill her jar between 80 and 100 times. It would be totally uncalled for. It wouldn't happen. It would have to be a work of God. Now, my friends, let me just say here now, that I don't recommend this technique for discerning the will of God. This is the first time I I ever prayed like this and I never did again. And, you know, I'm absolutely convinced that this idea, that this prayer came from the Lord. And the reason why I say that is that before I had even finished praying, you know, the girl would have had to have left her house before I even began to pray. Before I finished my prayer, a young, beautiful woman started walking towards us, carrying a large jar on her shoulder. My heart just skipped a beat. Could she be the one? The very first one we meet... Could this be God's chosen girl? I watched her pull up the jar. And after she had filled it, I approached her and I asked her for a drink. As expected, she very kindly offered me a drink from the jar that she had just filled. And then, and my friends, these words will be forever imprinted on my memory. She said, and I'll draw water for your camels too until they have all had enough to drink. I will draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. Now let me say it again. There was no need for her to show such generous hospitality to a stranger. This would be long, heavy and hard work. But she rushed off, filling that jar again and again and again. It must have been a hundred times or so. She just kept going and going. And as I sat there and watched her, because it would be customary for me to sit there and watch her, my assurance grew more and more that yes, This was, she was, 
the Lord's kindness and blessing to my master. This was an amazing girl. She was amazing. She was beautiful. She was gracious. She was faithful. She was hardworking. She was perfect for my master's son, Isaac. And as I sat there, my mind just churned over and over with possibilities. Who is this girl? What family does she belong to? Where are her parents? And how on earth could I convince her to return home with me to marry a man that she had never met? As she watered those camels for the final time, I called her over. And I decided to be bold. You know, I was so confident that this was the girl of God's choosing that I gave her the two bracelets and the nose ring before I even knew who she was. I was so confident that this was the girl. But then my curiosity couldn't hold any longer. So I asked her whose daughter she was. And can I stay with your family tonight? And she replied, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. We have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as room for you to spend the night. Those words, those names, my heart just leapt for joy inside me. Nahor was my master's brother. This girl wasn't just a part of my master's tribe. She was part of his family. She was the granddaughter of Abraham's brother. What an amazing answer to prayer. Have you ever had an answer to prayer like that? where you've come before the Lord prayerfully, expectantly, hoping that, that he will answer your prayer. And then, lo and behold, the Lord just answers your prayer in a way that is so much bigger, so much above and beyond, ever before, ever, anything you could have begun to imagine. That's how I felt in that moment. My friends, our God is a great and merciful God. But of course, my task wasn't yet complete. Finding the girl was one thing, but convincing her to return home with me would be another matter entirely. At this stage, Rebecca's family did not yet know Yahweh. They did not yet know the one true God. They worshipped many gods. So for them to respond favourably to my request would again need to be God's hand at work. Rebecca was so overwhelmed by the gifts that I had given her that she immediately rushed home to tell her family. The two bracelets and the gold nose ring that I gave her were worth an absolute fortune. They would have showed her family exactly how serious I was. Her mother... And her brother, Laban, were home. 
Her father wasn't, so I assumed that, that he must have passed away. So I realised that it was her mother and Laban that I would need to negotiate with. After seeing the very expensive, beautiful gifts of gold that I had given his sister, Laban rushed out to meet me. He, he welcomed me very, very warmly. But you know what? I saw greed in his eyes. There was something about him that I just didn't trust. And you know what? I was actually proved right later on because some years later he deceived my master's grandson, Jacob. But at that moment, Rebecca's family showed me very generous hospitality. They provided food for the camels. They provided water for us to wash and they began to lay out a beautiful spread of food before us. But as they were doing that, I just stopped them for a moment. We had travelled such a long way. It had been a long and a difficult journey. I didn't want to get distracted by food and small talk. So I stopped them and I explained to them why I had come. I explained to them the journey that I had been on and the way that God had been guiding and leading and directing us every single step. And I invited them as I shared in the goodness and kindness of God with them, I invited them to take their place in his plan. I held my breath as I waited for them to respond. Would they let Rebecca return home with me? Would they join in God's plan to bless my master Abraham? Or would they resist? After a pause, Rebecca's mother and brother replied, This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebecca. Take her and go. And let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. This is from the Lord. Take her and go. Another prayer answered. My friends, God is so good. I just fell on my knees before him and praised and worshipped him for his faithfulness to my master Abraham. After they had said this, I brought out the bride price for the girl. You see, in our culture, it's customary when a groom takes a bride to, to recompense the family for, for the lost economic productivity that she represented. And so I brought out my gifts, gold and silver jewellery. You ladies here this morning would have loved it for Rebecca along with fine clothes, a bit like what I'm wearing this morning, and expensive gifts for her mother and her brother Laban. It was only when I'd done this, when business was complete, that I could relax and enjoy the meal. And let me tell you, it was the best meal I have ever had. We were famished and the Lord had granted our mission success. Gee, I slept peacefully that night.
But, unfortunately, my celebrations were a little bit premature. The next morning as we got up and prepared to go, Laban and his mother approached us and asked us to stay for for ten more days or so. You know, even the way that they said it made me suspicious. They said it in such a way that it could have been more than ten days. I was concerned. I was concerned about their motives. This was a delaying tactic. I'd heard this done before. Now, of course, I understood that, that they would be a little bit reluctant to say goodbye to their daughter, to have her go and travel a long distance and marry a man they had never met. But I was suspicious. I just wanted to return home to my master Abraham. And so once again, I explained to them how God had been a part of every step of this journey, how God had directed our step, how God had directed me to Rebecca and how they had so graciously accepted. I invited them again to participate in God's plan. And so, maybe a bit reluctantly, they asked Rebecca if she would be willing to come. Now, let me tell you, that is unheard of in our culture. I have never heard of the bride being asked before if she was willing to leave with the husband. That's just not done. But as I look back, I can see God's hand even in that bit. Because you see, ultimately, that was a question for Rebecca. Would she willingly submit herself to the plan of God? Was she only returning with us because she felt that she had to or because she wanted to be a part of God's mission? This was a key moment for Rebecca. And my friends, her reply is etched on my mind. I can still see this young woman standing before her family, knowing that she would likely never see them again, saying, I will go. I will go. She was a courageous girl, full of faith. And so shortly after, we we, we packed up and we left. And as we took that long journey home, I can still remember just looking across and seeing Rebecca there riding on that camel. I could hardly believe she was there. Here she was, a visible representation of the goodness of God and his faithfulness to my master. Let me tell you the end of the story. A few weeks later, we began to get close to the land of Canaan, the land of my master Abraham. And as we neared his land, I saw a figure out on the horizon. I immediately knew it was Isaac. Fancy that. 
God's hand was even on that. That the very first person we would meet returning to the land of Canaan would be Isaac. And the more that I reflect on it, I can see that God's hand was really on that too. It was a very symbolic moment. You see, it was symbolic of God's promises unfolding. My master Abraham had been the one to send us out. But his son, the heir of promise Isaac, was the one who welcomed us home. I can just imagine Isaac's thoughts as he saw us out on the horizon, counting the number of camels and the number of people on camels, trying to see if our mission had been a success. When I spoke to Rebecca and I told her that it was Isaac coming towards us, she immediately put on her bridal veil. Shortly after, in much celebration, this had been long anticipated, Isaac and Rebecca were married. Rebecca entered the tent of Sarah, Abraham's wife, just as Isaac would succeed his father, Abraham. My friends, as you'd expect, I've had a lot of time to reflect on this story. I've had about 4,000 years to think about it. And one thing is clear to me as I look back. God is the author of this story. Even though Abraham had enormous faith, I used my wit and my charm to bring Rebecca back and Rebecca was courageous and full of faith. God was the author. Although he never speaks directly in the story, he's never far away. He is the one who keeps his covenant promise to Abraham even in the midst of real people making real decisions Day by day, God was the author. God was at work. And you know, just as God was at work in even the most minute details of this story, likewise, he is at work in your and my story today as well. God is at work in the delays in the chance meetings, in the jobs and the friends and the neighbourhood that you live in. Isn't that a wonderful thought? And doesn't that also change the way that we view our lives? When we view all of our circumstances as divinely ordained, we get more intentional about sharing the goodness and love of God to those around us. Your neighbours are not a mistake. They were meant to be your neighbours. Your workplace is not a mistake. God ordained you being there, sharing him. That just gives me enormous comfort. Our God is not just the God of miracles, although he certainly is that. I've seen that in my own life but he's also the God of the day by day. He orders all life for his purposes. God is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, 
and he is all present. Can't we rest in that? Not only that, this story reveals just the heart of God, does it not? How good and gracious and loving and faithful he is. My master Abraham was a wonderful man. He was the man that introduced me to Yahweh. But he was not perfect. But yet God blessed him abundantly as he followed him and stepped out in faith. He blessed Abraham with a child and he blessed that child, Isaac, with a wife. My friends, there is nothing more exciting, nothing more important, nothing's changed in the last 4,000 years from my day to yours. There is nothing more important than partnering with God in his mission in this world. You know, just as God invited Abraham to enter into his story and he invited Rebecca to enter into his story, he has invited you and I to also enter into his story. Because, of course, through Isaac and Rebecca, God's promises continued all the way through the nation of Israel to the Messiah who would ultimately reconcile Jew and Greek, slave and free, man and woman to himself. That still amazes my ancient brain. God invites all people to be part of his kingdom. You know, the very fact that you very unusually dressed Australians are here today is is proof of God's faithfulness to my master Abraham. God promised my master that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And the fact that you here, a long way away from Canaan, are now part of God's family is testimony to the fact that God's promises have been fulfilled. And once again, so much more than we ever could have imagined. I just can't get that scene out of my mind. Rebecca standing before her family, knowing that she would likely never see them again, being asked a question that would change her life forever. It was her choice. Just as the Lord had called my master Abraham to leave his family and follow Yahweh, the same challenge lay before Rebecca. Do you want to go? Do you want to partner with God? I wonder, has the Lord invited you today? Maybe for the first time, has he invited you to join your life with his redemptive plan and to come to know him as I do, as the one true God? Or is God calling you, if you are already a believer, to a deeper, 
more profound, radical discipleship as you follow him? Is he calling you to step out in faith in a new way, not knowing where you're going to go, but having total confidence in the one who is calling you? Is God calling you today? My friends, do you want to join the story of your life with a far greater story? The story of the Lord God and his plan of redemption. Do you want to take that step of faith into an unknown future? May you answer as Rebecca did, simply saying, I will go. I will go.